It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. Well, good morning, church. This is my last Sunday with you. Oh, man. You wouldn't know it, but I'm, I'm close to tears. And, but you've got, you got good days ahead of you, church. Got good days ahead of you. We've been praying for the spirit-anointed unity. I think God's given it to us. Oh, that's a blessing. Uh, and next, next Sunday, your new pastor, your new pastor, Pastor Mike and Melanie Curry, they come. You're going to like them, and you're going to love them just if you have your former pastor and you've loved me in the interim. You know, they say churches have track records. Did you know that? You ask any district superintendent, there are churches who are known for being naughty, not nice. And there are churches who are known for being a blessing. Well, use one of those. You're known for being a blessing. And uh, you have no idea how these last 20 months has blessed Linda and I. You've been a blessing to us. We've not just pastored you. You've become our, our dear friends. And there's, there's, you can't pay for that. that. That's not a job. It's a relationship. Remember my first sermon with you? It's all about relationships. And I believe that. And you've... You've exemplified that. By the way, this morning, I feel so dumb sometimes, but this morning, uh, someone came up and asked me about this beanie cap and said, what's with the beanie cap? <laughs> and I don't like to make a bunch about it, but, um, you know, I wear it because I got this thing going on, and it's kind of ugly to look at, and it bleeds and all that kind of stuff, and it's, it's, it's coming along. It's doing okay. Seems like most of the months I've been with you, I've had this beanie cap on, and I don't like it. You've got to know I don't like unless I'm hunting. Because when you're hunting, the deer can't see you. And, and you've done me better than that. You see me even though I wear it, which is good. But uh, you've put up with a lot, and I, I, I genuinely thank you for that. And I want to thank you for the last... It's been almost 20 months. And, you know, we, we knew it would take a little while, didn't we? So that's okay. It's been okay. God's, God's been with us every step of the way. Amen. So we're not worried about that, and we're on His time clock, not ours. Amen? And, and now, now we see Pastor Mike coming. It's, it's exciting. So I want to thank you before I say anything else. And I want to thank you for your, your support. Uh, to me personally, I, I mean, uh, as, as a preacher, as a speaker, I've, uh, one of my passions in life has always been to be a good communicator. Did you notice how we were way up in the front row this morning? I went into these guys' Sunday class, Sunday class this morning. Well, actually, I went in, I have to confess, because uh, they were serving them cinnamon rolls. So I figured the pastor needed one of those, right, guys? By the time I was through, I had it on my fingers, I had it on my mustache, and Pastor Jason dropped one and stuck it in my mouth, and it was a mess. <laughs> but guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Look, look, not everybody knows you guys. Some of them know some of you, but stand up. Do me a favor. Just stand up and turn around look at them and wave. Just wave at them, okay? Say, hey, guys, thanks for being up here, huh? <laughs> Amen. Okay, sit down, sit down, sit down. You're taking enough time now. But man, I appreciate them being on the, on the front row. You know, as a pastor, I've always encouraged seniors to be up front. Then I preach to them. Uh, because if they can understand, everybody's going to be on the same page. And I love having teens around. It, they're amazing. And uh, so thanks, guys, for doing that for me. But uh, your, your personal commitment to me. You, you know, you're a mission-driven church. And you found out that I'm kind of a missionary guy. I mean, when I was 12 years old, I wrote a little note. Maybe I told you this. I wrote a little note to myself, 12 years of age, why I want to be a missionary. Because, see, God grabbed my heart. And I grew up in a church also that was a mission-driven church. And I remember seeing movies and listening to stories and hearing missionaries come. My mom and dad reading missionary books to us. When I was a child, God grabbed my heart to be a missionary. So I wrote this little paper. I still got it. I still got it. Why I want to be a missionary and I just talk about what I feel God wanted me to do. And, and, and here I am living it out. I'm a missionary. 
And part of that's because of you. I mean, last year, you sent me in part to Africa, to Malawi and Mozambique. And, and I want to thank you for that because um, it's been amazing. Let, let me just show you what you've done. I mean, here's what you've done. Here we go. So here's a, here's a couple pictures. You put that well in a place in Malawi, outside of Lalongwe, the capital city. I go to places where there's no electricity, there's no running water, there's no clean water. Um, a lot of the people sleep on, in dirt huts, dirt floors, uh, wood walls, mud walls, mud roofs. Uh, that, that's, that's where we go. It's, and you guys put a well there, and that well, it, it will feed 10,000 people. So there are hundreds of people, thousands of people that come from around that village... And because it's at a church of the Nazarene, they, they call it the Jesus, the Naz, Jesus of the Nazarene wells. And I've seen dozens of them as we planted them over the years. You did that one. And you see Lamont and you see Emily, his, his daughter. And they were very much a part of our team last year. And, and here's, here's part of that village right there. You see some of the Mzungus. The Mzungus are the white people. <laughs> as you walk down the dirt roads, the little children chase you. Hey, Mzungu, Mzungu. They, they usually want it. They want your bottle. They love the plastic bottles because they'll take anything and make a toy out of them or they'll sell them and they'll make a little money. Hey, Mazungu. So you see the Mazungus there. And here's a lady who's pumping the water. I have pictures of her putting that five-gallon thing, more than five gallons on her head. And I've got pictures of the team members trying to put them on their heads. <laughs> and let me tell you, there's a big difference between an African woman who knows how to handle those things and us Mazungus, okay? <laughs> so here's the children. This is what it's all about. Look at that. And I already told you, the first village I put a well in, six children had died the year before. And that was 11, 12, 13 years ago. I don't know. Time eludes me. And, and since then, not one child has died in that village. And not only that, all the villages around that village have come to get water. That's, that's what you did last year. And I'm going back in July, and you've already tapped into the vision. The missions board, this morning, what we're doing after church is we're celebrating. We're not asking for money. We're celebrating what you've already done this year. And you are sending me away. They're giving me a check, the missions board, to put $10,000 on this mission field. And the men's ministry stepped up to the plate. I had no funding until you stepped up to the plate. And someone this last week was telling me, we think we want to put in another well for the church. And I'm saying glory, hallelujah. That, that you're a missions-driven church. Now look at this. Look at this. This is a building I started in 2017 when I was pastor at Eugene First Church. When COVID hit, everything stopped. I no longer had a church. I no, no longer had a way to do anything with it. So here it is. Last year, it's not even finished. This is your team. When we went last year with Lamont and Emily, we'll do the same thing this year. We'll pack it full of children, and, and, the, and we will teach them the gospel. We will feed them. We will clothe them. Many of them have no shoes. Here's some of them outside that building. And when I was there last year in July, I stood out that building, and I asked the leaders, I said, do you guys, how's your funding? We have no funding. Uh, how are you going to finish this? We don't have a clue. We've applied for funding, but nobody will give us funding. My heart was broken because I started that building. I said, do you have any other churches that have caught the vision? No, 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 no. It was though God took me to Luke chapter 14 where God reminded us that if a man starts a building and doesn't finish it, people look and say, hey, he didn't finish that building. And I literally felt God lay his hand on my shoulder and say, you can do this, but I didn't know how. And as of two weeks ago, before your board meeting, I had no money whatsoever. And guess what? Your board stepped up the plate, your missions board and your men's ministries. That's what we're going to be celebrating with the tacos after service this morning. I praise God for you because you've supported the ministries I believed in for nearly 15 years. I've gone back to the same place and I farmed. I've tilled the same soil. I have harvested the same harvest. And we planted churches, put in well water after well, clean well water because of you. Now, check this out. See those Frisbees? I didn't think about this this week because I hadn't thought about it. But we're leaving the end of April, the 1st of May. We're going to be over there again. Some of you are going with us and maybe some more. I don't know. i got room for a couple more. I like to take 1,000 th- Frisbees this year because the kids don't know how to throw fris- Frisbees. And I do. I make myself look good when we take Frisbees. 
We're also going to take soccer balls. I need to take about 50 soccer balls, a thousand frisbees. Last year, Lamont, I think he put together, he and his wife put together two different suitcases full of frisbees, and those, there they are. And we gave them out to the children and to the leaders of villages to teach kids how to play frisbee. So if you want to get in on that, hey, if you want to get some frisbees, I need them. We're going to take them. Let's see, is that the last, that's the last one I got on this group? Yeah. So you pray for us. And we're going to celebrate what you've been doing and what you're doing continually because you're, you, you see this thing here, this, this Africa thing? Eula made this. She's the one that started all this to give us a vision for Africa. And we have it up here to say, well, Eula, thank you. It's people like you. Yes, yes. All my life, I've heard older people say, I can't do anything because I'm too old. Look, I'm 72. I'm not getting any younger. Every time I go to Africa, I go, I don't know if I can do this again because it's grueling. I've got cancer, but nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to go until I'm dead. So I figured, I'm just going to go, go, go. But it's people like you. You know, the last two weeks, I've talked about spiritual gifts. And I've seen people like you in a wheelchair say, I can't do anything. Don't tell me you can't do anything. This lady spawned this whole vision that we're celebrating after church this morning. We bless you, we honor you, we thank you, lady. Don't quit. And by the way, I really like your haircut this morning. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so here's the bottom line. You own the watering hole. Can I tell you? Have I told you that before? Have I told you that? I haven't. Okay. So I'm going to tell you now, you own the watering hole. You know what that means? Everybody comes to you to get the truth, to get the goods. And when you put a watering hole at a church, ladies, one after another, with little girls come, they all have buckets, they fill them up with water, they walk two miles back to their village, they don't get raped, they don't get beat up, they don't get molested, because they're safe. They don't have to go clear to the river, which is a half day's walk. You own that hole. And when they come, they say, this is the Jesus hole, this is the Jesus watering hole, this is the Jesus of Nazareth. And the Nazarene church owns this. And now we get to share the gospel because we've given a cup of water in Jesus' name. You see how this works? So in Genesis 29, this is not my sermon this morning, but Jacob, he's on his way after Bethel. Remember, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. You guys know that song? Okay, you know the song. You do, you don't. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Have you ever heard that before? Well, we're, I just sang it. Come on, open your We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Yeah. After he leaves Bethel, he called it Bethel. He winds up out in the desert in the Easter, with the eastern peoples and he looks over and there's, there's a well there. And he goes, way, out here in the middle of the desert, here's this well. And then he sees three flocks of sheep laying around the hole. You know why? Here's what it says in verse 2. Because there they knew they could get water. Well, that's what that, that's that you on the watering hole. And when you look at this building we're looking at, I'm telling you what... It will serve hundreds and thousands of people all across four different nations as people come in to receive training to further the kingdom. Some of them won't even be Nazarenes, but we embrace them because they want to teach Jesus. Amen? Yeah, I love it. So now, um, last week, some of you thought I was gone, and I'm sorry I had to come back. I'm kind of like an old, a, a stray cat. Have you ever seen a stray cat? You ever try to get rid of a stray cat? Huh? Have you? How did you do that? No, no, don't, don't, don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> we only released it. Oh, you only released it. <laughs> You're my hero. My brother wasn't nearly as kind. When I was your age, I'd go to senior high school camp, and we used to sing this song about a cat. Every way you tried to get rid of the cat was what the verses was about. The chorus went like this, but the cat came back the very next day. You know that song? The cat came back. We thought he was a goner. The cat came back. He just won't stay away. Well, that's kind of like me. So Linda and I will be coming back from time to time. I just want you to know the cat's going to come back. Okay? And we're going to give you some space. You know, loyalties are important. You need to give all your loyalties to your new pastor. You've been loyal to, loyal to me. But it's not about me. So I want to talk to you about this a little bit. And I've chosen for my scripture this morning... What I would consider to be a love letter, a love letter in the Bible. How many of you have ever written a love letter before? You, you know what it's like. It's full of passion and, and drive and 
catharsis and direction and enthusiasm and warm fuzzies. That's what a love letter. And Paul, he writes a love letter to the church's Ephesians. And, uh, and I want to read just 11 of these verses so he can see his passion because it expresses my heart for you. It's a love letter. And, and I'd write one, but I couldn't write it any better than this. So um, what do you say? We read Paul's love letter. He's in prison, by the way, remember? He's in prison. So let's stand to honor God's word as, as we read. Um, you guys, some of you guys got your Bibles, huh? Philippians. Open your Bible. Help them find Philippians there, hon. Okay, you'll get it. Chapter 1. And uh, if you don't know where the word of God is, just go ahead and take a minute and find it. Chapter 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses. And uh, this is Paul's letter while he's in prison, writing to this church he loves so much. And it feels like my heart to you. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, now to all the saints, remember last week, Hoy Agiloi, the holy ones of Christ, the holy, the called out ones, the ecclesia, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. He's writing this to all the church, all the leaders, all the people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you just love that? Are there any better words in the Bible than grace? I mean, I don't know. Verse 3. Here comes the, the mushy part. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day I met you until now. Being confident of this. Oh, here it comes, church. He who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That's his return. Now it gets a little more mushy. It is only right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? <laughs> Isn't that just the most beautiful phrase? Since I have you in my heart, he says. For whether I'm in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Hallelujah. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. Here it comes now. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight. Isn't that the coolest? Can I just read that again? That, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight. So that you may be able to discern what is the best and may be pure and blameless till the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. It comes through Jesus Christ. And all to the glory and praise of God the Father Almighty. Amen. Wow. Wish I had a couple hours to preach on this. Lord, uh, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing this, my heart, with these wonderful people. And Bless our time together, Lord. Again, hide the messenger behind the cross, Lord. We want to see you and you only today. So, Jesus, may you be high and lifted up in the greatest of ways in these next few moments. And we will praise and give you all glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, um, you know, again, on my first Sunday with you... uh, and, and we talked about this relationship thing. It's all about relationships. I, I want to lean into that a little bit. Because after 45 or 50 years of ministry, I was working in my first church the year I graduated from high school, 1969. And so I've, I've, I've worked in a lot of different churches, um, five different churches. Uh, as I was doing my education, and 
um, four churches as a lead pastor, and you're my fourth interim church. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> it's all about relationships, and I think that's exactly what Paul is saying here in these 11 verses. I mean, think of the phrases. I have you in my heart. Every time I think of you, doesn't it sound like a guy that's in love with a girl? I got you in my heart. Baby, I can't live without you. I need you. I love you. I do. I give everything for you. I mean, that's, that's what you're, you're feeding the passion of Paul the Apostle for his brothers and sisters in my land. That's what God does for us in our relationships. How do we even express the way we feel connected to each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord? We can't. It goes deeper. You know why? Because it's a God thing. So we try to express it, how much we love each other and how we care for one another. But, but, but really, it, because it's a God thing, it's, it's kind of hard to articulate. We do the best we can, but Paul does it so well here. You know, the last couple of weeks, I've, I've talked to you a little bit about um, what I would call the unique and special relationship that a pastor-teacher, remember that spiritual gift? We've been talking about the spiritual gifts. Pastor-teacher, as some say, is, is basically a compound, one word in the Greek. I don't know, you can argue about it, but pastor-teacher is a gift God gives to the church for men and women to teach the word of God to the people of God. Um, and, and, and so Paul mentions this in Ephesians 4. To the church, the body of Christ, to the saints, which is you. And, and it makes me think of, for years, people have called me pastor. I mean, when I, when I was in college, uh, because I was pastoring church of, people of a little tiny church called Riverside Drive Church of the Nazarene, just a few blocks away from the Dodger Stadium, where I'd drive every weekend, every Wednesday night. I'd throw kids from the neighborhood in the back of my 1935 pickup truck. Think of this. I went around on Saturdays knocking on doors. Hey, uh, my name's Les Moore. I'm a college student here at, uh, you know, Pasadena Nazarene College. And, I, and I'm, go, I'm working at this little church right just a couple blocks here from your house. Do you mind if I swing by and pick your kids up for Sunday school? And I, I still remember Martha and her husband, Rudy, and their two little kids. They didn't know God. He was an alcoholic. Somehow they said, sure, you can have them. So I came back, threw them in the back of my truck Sunday morning before Sunday school. Went to the next house. Hey, uh, they're going to let me take their kids. Can I take your kids? Sure, sure, sure. I get to church with 10, 15 kids in the back of my truck, literally. Try that today, huh? I mean, even in Idaho, you get in trouble. Yeah, that's what I did. And they called me pastor. When I go to Malawi, they call me doctor. Everybody calls me doctor because that's basically what I do is I teach. I try to raise up leaders who build the kingdom of God, and it's, oh, it's one of the most humbling things I've ever done in my life. But you know what? I prefer pastor. You know why? Well, a doctor is a degree you earn. Pastor is a relationship that you earn. And they're, they're worlds apart. And it's interesting to me that every church I've pastored and every church I've been in, there's been at least one person who would never allow me to be their pastor. Now think of that. I don't know what the problem was. I remember in one church, uh, I was a youth pastor, had 200 kids in my youth ministry at Long Beach First Church, and a few years later, I'm in my second church in San Diego, and this kid shows up. He's now in college, and when he comes to the church, after church, he goes, oh, Les, I, I just can't, I can't see you as a lead pastor. You are my youth pastor. I said, that's okay, man. That's all right, but he could never accept me as a pastor because I was a youth pastor. See what I'm saying? And he never did. That's okay. I had a lady who wouldn't accept me as her pastor because of my beard. <laughs> you think I shaved? No, I just grew it longer. <laughs> yeah. And, and they t- I was told why. And, and that's okay. I prayed for her. I loved her. I loved her. Um, I had a lady in Eugene who never accepted me as a pastor. I don't know why to this day. I think of her today. I pray for her. But here's what I've discovered. It's more about the hurt in their own life and their own barriers. But I'm just telling you, there's, there's fewer words that I know of in my own life that are more precious or dear than pastor. And when your new pastor comes, oh, I want to tell you, I don't know how to describe it. Um, 
that pastor-teacher relationship is so precious, it's so tender, at times it's volatile. Is volatile the right word? Uh, uh, yeah, what does volatile mean? Come on, talk to me, huh? What? Throw it out there. Unstable. Unstable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay, so it's sometimes it's a little iffy because we're people. And we don't come out of a vacuum. We come with our hurts and our brokenness and our whatevers. And have you ever noticed how easy it is to offend each other? Come on. That's what I'm talking about. So when you talk about pastor and lay people and all that, it is such a tender, beautiful relationship. And I never take it for granted when someone calls me pastor. It always uh, hits my heart. Now, now, I've done something this morning. I... I I usually teach to uh, district superintendents, to local pastors, to leaders, to help them understand how they can grow into being a great leader. And on the back of your worship folder, I think it's on the back of your worship folder, right? On your, on your bulletin there? I got mine here. Oh, mine's down there. Okay, I know it's there. Okay. So you got four or five lines there, and they all start with a P. Do you see, though? You want to take out a pen and, and just write these, these words in, okay? So... Uh, uh, write these words in. I, I, I started you out so you have, you have an advantage with the first P, okay? So the first, the, the first P is, is going to be position. So write that down. This might be important for you. Position. That's the entry level of, um, of any organization. Position. What's your position? Okay, the, the second one is permission. So you're going to go up from the left, down to the bottom, position, then permission is number two. Number three is production. I'm going to explain these to you in a minute. So positions number one, permissions number two. Step number three is production. Step number four is people. And step number five is pinnacle. Did I go too fast? So here we go. We got position number one. Permission number two. Production number three. Step number four is people. Step number five is pinnacle. Now, let me just go through these really quick, okay? Because I want you to see how this works. It's very important for you to understand as your new pastor comes because you've had a unique history, church. And, and I'm just sharing my heart with you to, to try to help you as you move because I think you got great days, but I kind of want you to get to the picture of what the relationship is with your pastor. So position is kind of an entry level. It's where anybody starts. You might be a coach. That's your position, right? Uh, you might be a, an executive. That's your position, uh, you might be a teacher in a class, a classroom teacher. That's your position. You might be a pastor in a church. That's your, are you with me? Position. position. That's your position. Excellent. So, this is, so that's who you are, but it's kind of an entry level. You get to be that because of your position. I am a pastor. Whether you like it or not, that's my position. All right? So when you think about it, uh, you don't have to accept me as your pastor, as I just said to you. It's a rare thing, but in every church I've been in, I've had one person who had never, even though I was there 12, 13, 14 years, never accepted me as the pastor. All right, so, so I've, I've always wondered about that. Why? How, how, what's, what's going on here? God, how can I be a better pastor? Is it me? Is it them? Is it the, what, what is the dynamic? Because there's going to be something. Okay, so there's the position. When your pastor gets here, that's going to be his position at least. We already know he's a pastor. And the fact that he's pastored before gives him a better, you might say, posture in that first step. Now, the second is permission. Here, people, they go from understanding that's your position. You're the pastor of the church, but now they're going to give you permission because maybe they did something in your life to make a difference. Maybe you like them. Maybe you do like their beard. I don't know. Uh, Maybe you like their beanie. Uh, Who knows what it is? But you give them permission. I choose to let you be my leader, my pastor. Are you with me? It's a little bit higher step than position. Production. Once you have enough trust as, as a... You know, I've given you permission. We've built this relationship. Now we move up to the next step, which is it is production. People follow people here because um, they see that you know what you're doing. You've had results. And I know you can produce. Uh, when I went to Eugene, the district superintendent, there was the, the interim guy there, he said to me, Les, one reason we wanted to call you, because you've been where we want to be, and we know you can do what needs to be done. I said, well, yeah, Doc, that's true, but you're not going to like it. 
because nobody likes change. It's the truth. Nobody, well, you like change unless you get to a change you don't like, right? Yeah. <laughs> and believe you, you can't have a new pastor without change coming. Look at, I've tried not to change anything, but look what I've already done. I mean, I change everything. We were supposed to have communion at the end of my message. And I felt like, oh, man, I want to do this earlier. I want to pray into the people of the communion time. And I want to do a little differently. And Pastor Jason gave me permission. Ooh, there's someone for you. I have gone from position to production. We got a relationship going here. I think he likes me a little bit. He doesn't have to like me a lot. But you understand. You produce and they go, okay, I know that I've made some decisions in the past people didn't like, and, and, but they came to me and said, I didn't like that, I didn't understand, but I knew you had a reason, and I trusted your, your, your decision because I know you know how to produce. You see what I'm talking about? The next step, and I want to go a little faster, the next step is people development. So now I've developed people. I've, I've poured my life into others. Uh, that's something that, that God has blessed in my life in Africa because I've gone back to the same places, same schools, same districts, same people, I've trained, I've led, I've lifted up, I've encouraged, I've built up for 15 years, and now the ones that were this high when I went there are like this. You understand what I mean? I now have a lengthy relationship with them. I've poured my life into their life, and they, they, they see that I've developed. I've, um, I've delegated. I've encouraged. I've blessed. I've appreciated. I've motivated. I've tried to do all those things. Remember I said Pat, Paul Cho says is the two priorities for a pastor. Equip and to motivate. Get them out there, turn them loose. And I told you, the average church in America is under 200 because most pastors want to do it all. I had to get to a place to break the 400 barrier to let everybody else do everything except for three or four things that I should do and do well. I was casting vision. I was preaching and teaching. I was raising up leaders, okay? Now, that doesn't mean there are times that I didn't do other things, but you have to have a focus. Or remember, you get doing all these good things and you don't do the... Best things. Are you with me, church? Okay, how much time do I got here? Because I know those tacos are being cooked out there. Okay, we're, good. we're doing good. Okay. The, the next one is pinnacle. Now, it's the highest level of leadership you can attain, literally. You're at the pinnacle of your leadership, whoever, whatever, whether you're in a secular organization, whether you're in the church. You're, you're at a place where people, they believe in you because of who you are. Do you know what I mean? Uh, they've watched you, they've seen you go through the fire, they've seen you be tested, and they say, okay, I've watched this guy, I've watched that person, and they, boy, uh, I'm impressed. woo got it? When I went to Eugene, I was someplace between the people with de- development and Pinnacle. It didn't take long to get to pin- Pinnacle, and I pastored there for probably 10 years anyway. Your former pastor, who was here for 34 years, he started just like that. He started out as a position... When he left, he was at his pinnacle. Wouldn't you agree? And I'll tell you what it takes to get to the pinnacle. It takes longevity, and it takes history. It takes proof in the pudding. You can't do that until you stay around for a while. And you understand, there has been a time in the church when the average pastor was three to three and a half years. I mean, I have, those, I have all those studies in my, in my dissertation. Three, three and a half years, and a pastor would, a pastor would leave. Why would they do that? Well... It's proven, regardless of the size of church, a pastor leaves for less than one family or one person in the church. One of your jobs is to protect your pastor. You understand that? You can't allow people to be beaten up on your pastor. He can't protect himself. You've got to protect him. You're the sheep. You need to protect the pastor as he protects you. Now, this is teaching we don't usually get. It's called leadership. But, um, and by the way, these leadership principles, they come from John Maxwell, who's uh, I probably learned more about leadership from John Maxwell than most uh, leaders put together. He's, he's a phenomenal leader, always has been. And, and uh, um, So now the biggest question in any church is, um, oh, let me stop. I almost forgot something. I, I want to lean into this because I've been here long enough. I can be honest with you. You know I love you. Um, because your former pastor was here so long, it's going to be hard for some of you to transfer your loyalty from your previous pastor, even some of you from me. To your new pastor. Anybody want to testify? I've had people say to me. Since I've come here. Um, when Pastor Chuck left. I decided to quit the church. Because I, I didn't want to listen to anybody else preach. Well that's not right. And they found out it wasn't. 
You see, it's not about me. It's about the kingdom. Amen? Amen. And, and if all your faith is in one man, if all your faith is in me, you, you got it all wrong anyway, just because you like my preaching. So God's gifted every leader in different ways, and they will all bring something different to the table that the other one doesn't. Are you with me? So I'm praying. One of my prayers has been, God, let, no, not, let not one person slip through the cracks in this transition from me to your new pastor. But the reality is, your loyalties have to go from me, from Pastor Chuck, to the new pastor. Are you with me? Let me tell you something I did in every church I've left. Four churches. People love me. I went out the door being extremely loved. Um, some people are mad because you're leaving. I get all that because it's all about relationship. But let me tell you something. I always told every church, here's the deal. I've been your pastor these years. You know that I love you. I'd do anything for you. But you need to understand you have a new pastor now. And when I walk out the door, it's not because I don't love or don't care about you. But I won't come back and I won't do this. I won't do that. I won't do that. Because your loyalties need to go to your new church, your new pastor. Are you with me, church? Are you with me? Now, you got a great former pastor. Maybe there's a win-win there. That's all up to your new pastor and where you go. I'm just saying, pray into that. And realize, pastor is such a tender relationship. It's a beautiful relationship. And you want to think, God, how can I bless my pastor? So the the biggest question in any church now that you're going to have to address is who's going to lead? Because you've had a model for 34 years. You've had a kind of a schizophrenia the last 20 months. (laughs) A guy that changes everything. And now you've got a new guy coming in. And the biggest question is, who's going to lead? Now, I've tried not to lead, but leadership is so much in my DNA, sometimes I can't help it, and I just do it. I try to be careful about how I do it and get permission to do it, and I don't believe in autocratic leadership. I always get team decisions. But while I've been here for these last 20 months, I've been very, I tried very hard to stay in my lane. Are you with me? And not get, get I haven't always been successful, I have to confess. Uh, and I had to been reeled in a couple times, that's okay. It's all part of growing together. But um, the number one question is who's going to lead. So here's the deal. Your new pastor comes in and he starts to lead and you don't like it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Let me tell you as a pastor, sometimes a guy has to make a decision on one side of the desk that nobody else knows the decision that was made. I'd been in Eugene probably 12 years and I had to make a very strong autocratic decision that I knew would go against my my, my, my four or five key leaders that were around me. They were my accountability men, you might say, two women. I had to make a decision. I did it, and they were on my doorstep. A couple of them are really mad. I mean, red-hot mad. <laughs> and these are guys I hunt with. You don't want to hunt guys with guys that are red-hot mad. You've got to solve these problems. <laughs> and I, I could even tell you one guy's name. His name is Ron. We're so close still to, still to this day. And Ron said, it made me so mad. I said, yeah, I knew it would, Ron. We know each other that well. I, I, I didn't understand what you were doing. But he said, then I prayed about it, and I realized, no. I realize there's some things I don't know that were behind your decision, and I've watched you now for all these years, and I know you don't make decisions glibly, and there's a reason. So tell me the reason. Well, when I laid the reason out to the team, they go, okay, I get it. I get it. And let me tell you, it was a tough reason. It was a tough reason. But when I told them the reason, they're all going, okay, Pastor. So, so who's going to lead? And you, you need to look at this process, the stepping up in the, in the process, and where your new pastor is going to be with you. you. Everybody needs to accept them as your pastor. And as soon as you can, move forward. Some of you are already on the permission, and you've already gone to the production because you've watched Pastor Mike. You've, the, your board has done the, they, they've done the due diligence, and they know who this man is. And he's a worthy leader. He's proven himself. So the quicker you can get up the scale and let him lead, and in fact it's proven that if a church board tries to lead the church, the growth will be minimized. There's got to be vision that's embraced by the leaders, and then you can move forward. Amen? Amen. Here's a principle for you. You don't have to have everybody with you in the decision, but you need to have the right people. Write that down if you're a leader somewhere. Because if you have the wrong people... If you have the right people not with you, you're in trouble. So you better get permission to lead. Are you with me, church? Okay, let me see. Okay, where's my sign? It's 10 minutes till. You're, you're running late. I can't even see that when it's backwards. 
<laughs> I love you, brother. I love you, man. So I'm going to wrap this up. Um, uh, as a lead pastor, I found out that sometimes changes happen that I didn't even like. Come on now. I didn't like it. But it wasn't about me. It's about the body going together. And so I stepped back and I let it happen. And God took care of it. Always, 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 always. So sometimes people don't like the decision that's been made. And sometimes I'm one of them, a pastor. <laughs> but it's not about me. It's about us. Amen? Amen. So um, be a blessing. When something happens you don't like, be a blessing. Criticism in our world has gone so sky high, it's ridiculous. It's filtered into the church. Don't be a criticizer. Be a blesser. If you've got a problem, do what the Bible says. Go to that person. Amen? I've told you about Don Wellman, pastor of the largest church of the Nazarene, who has taught me an awful lot about leadership. He's since dead. But this man, when I was in his church and I heard his layman say, we don't allow anybody to say anything negative about pastor, uh, about our pastor, Don we make them go to him and talk about it. We don't not say nothing, otherwise we're part of the problem. We help them get to him to talk about it. Because that's the division in the body. When you, when you don't like something, and you start telling him and him and her and them and him, and you don't go to the person that has, has, has the right to answer the, the question, you create dissension in the body. Church, are you with me this morning? I'm trying to help you be, continue that spirit anointed uh, unity. Because I'll tell you what, the enemy, he will have a target on your pastor's back. You need to realize that. He'll have a target on his marriage, on his family, on his children, on, every, on, on his church leadership. And what he doesn't need is people talking behind his back. He needs people to be honest with him. My best friends are people who vehemently disagreed with me. And they came to me and told me so. It's never run my relationship. It's only strength in it. That's the body of Christ in action. Can I get an amen out there? Amen. This, is good, this is good stuff. Now, I'm going to wrap it up with this. I'm going to give you some do's and don'ts. First of all, here's George Barna. Did you realize, this is post-COVID survey from the Barna Group, David Kinneman, their CEO. Two out of five pastors, two out of five nationwide, are seriously considered thinking about leaving the ministry. Two out of five. What percent is that? Uh, 38% of pastors want to quit compared to 29 of January 21, about, about COVID time. So something's been going on pastoral leadership where guys have been taking hits. And I can tell you, I know this because I talk to pastors all the time through COVID. I would tell Linda, man, I'm glad I'm not pastoring here. Next thing I knew, I was slam bam into a Carter church <laughs> during COVID. And we're having two services, one, two services, both in the, in the gymnasium, none of them in the sanctuary, some mask required, some not. And boy, it was a, it was a, just a tough thing. I could tell you a pastor's name. Some of you have known him. He's not too far from here. And I'm on the phone with him. He said, he said, Les, my staff is all quit. They're just done. Now he wasn't saying they're leaving. What he's saying, they, they can't take it anymore. So understand this relationship is so important that we get along and we move together. Amen. It's a beautiful gift God's given us. And, and the list goes on. 4,000 churches closed in America in 2020. Over at that same time, 20,000 pastors left the ministry. 50% of current pastors say they would leave the minister if they had another way of making a living. Now, I realize they're not unique to our culture. Amen? We all got issues. But pastoral relationships, when it comes to being a pastor and a people, they're very tender. They're very... Volatile. What was the word you used, Les? Unstable. They can be. Or they can be really strong. Okay, do's and don'ts. Are you ready? Here's my do's and don'ts. Do pray for your pastor daily. Prayer is the key to power. I think I've seen that around here somewhere. <laughs> Secondly, encourage him with words of appreciation. I, as a pastor, have tried to learn how to appreciate people whether I did or not. It's not about me. And it's not being untruthful. Because the problem is with me, not with them. Remember, I've told you some of this. And I found as a pastor, I need to learn to appreciate people. Whether I can see it or not, I need to appreciate. Are you with me, church? Come on. Secondly, I mean thirdly, um, if a particular sermon helps you, tell them about it. I tell you what, normally on Monday morning, I eat sermon soup. 
I just go, why did I say that? Why did I do that? You're pretty hard on yourself, but it really helps when someone says, Pastor, when you said that, it really helped my life. It changed me. Those are powerful moments. Next, give them time to study the Word of God. Give them time. Let them lead. Let them lead. Um, I'm going to move pretty fast here, and then we're done. Some don'ts. I'm going to give you three or four don'ts. Don't expect your pastor to be perfect. My land, if I told you some of the mistakes I made in ministry, you thought that I was of the devil. And I had to get on my knees and weep and say, God, please forgive me, and go to my brother and sister, say, please forgive me. Look at the guy behind this podium is not any more perfect than you. Now, he ought to be a model of forgiveness and acceptance and love and caring and compassion and all that. He needs to be a model, but he's not perfect. Come on, okay. Number two, don't saddle them with maintenance ministry. My prayer for you all along is that God would give you a leader, which means if you expect him to do all the things of maintenance ministry, he'll never get leadership time done. One of my mentors in seminary, uh, he was a pastor of a large church in Kansas City. Um, His name was Gordon Wetmore. He told a handful of men who met with him every week, I was one of them, maybe four or five guys, he said, guys, take one day a week to dream. And at first I didn't understand that. But if you're going to be a visionary, you better dream. You better know where you're going. You better get the passion in your heart and in the belly. Otherwise, you don't go anywhere. You better know what God's calling you to do. And that doesn't happen unless you sit before the Lord and you dream. And you say, God, give, give me what you want. Tell me where to go. Give me the vision we need. And that might not come for a while. He's got to know you. He's got to know how you operate. He's got to know how this church moves. Just because it's a Nazarene church doesn't mean anything about how you operate. We all operate differently. And it'll take them a year or two to really discover that. Then you can really get going. So you've got to give them some time, some space. It's kind of like a fire. Have you ever built a good fire? I build a, I build a warm fire every morning in my living room. We heat our home, I wood, pretty much. You know what the key is to building a warm fire? You get your logs close enough that they can warm each other. You get them far enough apart that they can breathe. Right? That's a pastoral relationship with people. You want to stay close enough, you can encourage, warm, care, but far enough that you can, you can breathe. So don't saddle them with this. Uh, pick up your spiritual gifts and do the work of the kingdom and let your pastor lead with vision. And I'll tell you what, this church is out to explode. Now, I'm done except for this. Uh, let's see. Uh, there's some things you don't know about your pastor. I'll guarantee you. Some things you don't know about him. So uh, let's see. Here's, here's the pastor you've had the last 20 months and his family. This is all of us. They all live within, uh, oh, an hour's drive from here. Let's say Boise and Eagle area. Um, two girls, one boy. You, you can't hardly see Andy's the top of his head. Uh, he's a tall boy, big beard. He looks like a Duck Dynasty man. <laughs> and uh, some of you have met him. Uh, he's kind of a crazy guy. Kind of like his mother, you know. I mean, it was, I mean, like his father. Um, and our little, our, our newest baby, Mavis, maybe Blue, is sitting down there on Grandma's lap. That's my family. So some of you don't know that, but they all love the Lord. They're all, they're all serving the Lord. And I tell you this for a reason, because if you knew what the stats are of the number of pastors who have lost their family in, to the church, you'd be aghast. Our nation is scattered with pastors whose children no longer go to the church. Now, let me tell you something. You can make a huge difference there. Don't expect of your pastor's kids to be any different than your kids. Amen. Rowdy, snotty, running all over the place, causing havoc. That's what kids do. And don't ever say something like, don't you know better than that? You're the pastor's kids. That, that's a bad thing to say. Look, learn to love your pastor's kids. Lift them up. Encourage them. That's your job. You want to see them in the kingdom. When my son was this old, I had to take him outside in my first church and spank him. I stopped the church service because he wouldn't behave. I looked at him two or three times. My wife was going crazy. I knew the signs. I said, give me a a personal moment. I went down. I picked him up right about here, walked out there. That church was the size. Everybody could hear was going down outside. (laughs) I brought him back in, set him down. The rest was good. I went to Tom that afternoon. I said, Tom... I need someone to help me with my son while I'm preaching. Would you be his mentor? Guess who was at my son's wedding as the best man type of guy when he got married 20 years later? Tom. That's the difference you can make in your, in your pastor's 
kid's life. Some things you don't know about your pastor. Well, that guy looks like he's flying high. Looks like an, what is that, an RMX? What is that, 152-inch, 4-inch paddles? I don't know. Well, that's me. You never knew that was me. You think I'm wild in the pulpit? Get behind a, a snow machine that will go 100 miles an hour on flat ice. And we'll have some fun. I might be old, I'm, but, but I'm not that old, all right? So, of course, that was taken like, you know, 15 years ago. Oh, who's that guy? Well, yeah. There might be some things about your pastor you don't know. Get to know him. Hey, pastor, what do you like to do? Take him golfing. Take him fishing. Uh, do what Jesus would do. Amen? Spend some personal time with him. Oh, who is that guy? You know, some guys like to fish. That's right up the river from my house, right there. No more than uh, maybe a canoe paddle of 10, 15 minutes. Get to know your pastor. Love on him. Let him know you appreciate him. Never talk behind his back. Go to him when you got a problem. Settle it the God way. Amen, church? And God will bless your church and give you spirit anointed unity. Okay, I got one more video, and I'm done. Here we go, guys. Show me the video. Get the volume up. Here we go. Here we go. Okay, wait for it. Wait for it. Hold on. Wait for it. Here it comes. Okay, that's my daughter who's taking a video of her daddy trying to teach her how to do a burnout in his 30 Model A with a 454, bored out to 468, you know, four-barrel carb, nine-inch Ford rear end. You got it. Yeah. Here's the point. Here's the moral. Here's the moral of the story. Sometimes your pastor's going to make you choke. <laughs> Learn to laugh. Learn to laugh at yourself, at him. God bless you, church. I love you. So it's taco time. Amen? Amen. It's taco time. I'm going to say one last prayer. You guys on the front row, come on up here. Come on. Come on. We got any other teenagers here that didn't make the front row? Any other teenagers? Okay, come over here, guys. Come over here. Come here. Over here. Over here. Come on. I want to pray to you guys. Look at these guys. Aren't they great? They're all better looking than me and taller than me. This is your church. Use them. Use them. I love these guys. Lord, we are so grateful for the kingdom of God. This is your kingdom, and we're your people. Jesus, we're the body. We're your body. And every one of us are members in particular. We give you all glory and honor and praise. Now, Lord, as we celebrate over tacos, seems like a funny thing, but Jesus, you celebrate over fish tacos, so we can do it the way we want. Lord, we're going to have a blast as we just celebrate what you're doing, what you've been doing. In Jesus' name, we give you all glory, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon, as well as other sermons, and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.